0: We followed Paul as he began what has come to be called his first missionary journey. On the island of Cyprus, a sorcerer was defeated and a government official believed the gospel. In Perga, almost the entire city came to hear Paul preach, and in Iconium, poisonous opposition arose and Paul's life was threatened. So out of wisdom, not fear, he and Barnabas turned to the two neighboring towns of Lystra and Derbe to preach the gospel there. We're going to pick up the story in Acts 14 verse 8. In Lystra there sat a man crippled in his feet, who was lame from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him and saw that he had the faith to be healed and called out, Stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lyconian language, The gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. So the Holy Spirit had Paul notice a lame man in the crowd, and he called out to the man, commanding him to stand up. Though this person had never been able to walk before, he was miraculously healed as he obeyed Paul's command. In their astonishment, the crowd began shouting that the gods had come down among them. They called Barnabas Zeus and Paul, who apparently was doing all the speaking, his messenger, Hermes. Imagine the disciples' horror when the priest from the nearby temple of Zeus appeared at the city gates, bringing sacrificial bulls and flowered decorations to honour them. Paul and Barnabas were quick to try to deal with the issue. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd shouting, men, why are you doing this? We are only men like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way, yet he is not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. So they tore their clothes in an effort to show how deep their grief and distress was at what was happening. And they begged the crowd to turn away from worthless idols to worship the living God. But they didn't speak to this crowd the way that they had done to others. Because these people were unfamiliar with the God of the Old Testament or its writings, Paul and Barnabas had to take a different approach. Ecclesiastes 3.11 tells us that God has set eternity in the hearts of men and he has not left himself without testimony. In other words, he's placed a longing for eternal life in every heart and has left some hint of himself in every culture. No one has been left without some door of understanding that can be opened for the gospel to enter. Because Lystra was a farming region and was renowned as a large supplier of corn, Paul and Barnabas began with that open door. They introduced the living God as the creator, the one who sent the rain in due season, who provided the crops for their use and, indeed, all the good things that they enjoyed. But their words still had little effect on the riotous crowds, and their troubles were far from over, for according to verse 19, some outsiders arrived and took advantage of the confusion." Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. How quickly the crowd turned on them, ready to idolize the men only moments before they were easily persuaded to pick up rocks and stone Paul, leaving him for dead outside the city gates. Here, we see the remarkable courage of Paul in that he immediately got up and went back into the city, and he didn't take a day off to recover. The next morning he journeyed to Derby, several miles to the east and preached there. Strengthened by the Holy Spirit, nothing could prevent him and Barnabas from fulfilling the mission God had given to them. Verse 21 They preached the good news in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. So after preaching in Derby, they went back along the very route that they'd come and despite the danger, they returned to strengthen the new believers in each of the cities in which they'd preached, encouraging them to continue in the faith despite the hardships they were enduring. They wanted the churches they'd planted to understand that the kingdom of God is worth suffering for. Luke reveals in verse 23 that as they went, Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church, and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord, in whom they had put their trust. After going through Sidia, they came into Pamphylia, and when they preached the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. From Italia they sailed back to Antioch where they had been committed to the grace of god for the work they had now completed on arriving there they gathered the church together and reported all that god had done through them and how he had opened the door of faith to the gentiles and they stayed there a long time with the disciples. With much prayer and fasting, they appointed trustworthy men to oversee each church group, and having completed the work the Lord had called them to do, the disciples returned to Antioch to report the miraculous work God had done. I want us to just observe what happened on this first outreach of the early church to the furthest regions to see how it speaks to us today. The disciples took advantage using the extensive Roman network of roads and sea routes to advance the gospel, preaching wherever they went. Today, we have the ease of international travel, communication channels, the internet, television and radio that can take us anywhere in the world. And we should make use of all of these things in order to share the gospel. Barnabas and Paul's method of preaching depended on whom they were trying to reach. However, they always emphasized Christ's crucifixion, his burial, and his resurrection. They taught the new believers by word and by example that Christ's kingdom is indeed worth suffering for. And even today, our lives must demonstrate the truth that we are sharing and we must not shy away from presenting even the hard things about following Jesus. They planted churches and chose trustworthy people to be overseers of each one, spending a good deal of time in prayer and fasting as they entrusted these leaders and their flocks into God's care. Once their task was complete, Paul and his companions returned to the people of Antioch who'd sent them out in the first place with the news of all that God had done. Paul and Barnabas had certainly experienced Great fruitfulness in their ministry to the Gentiles, and yet not all were pleased by their work. Acts 15, verse 1, reveals that some men came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses. You cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and the elders about this question. Notice when Luke describes these divisive teachers, he doesn't call them brothers, but rather he refers to them as being some men, which really gives rise to the idea that Luke didn't even see them as being Christ followers. These false teachers maintained that all Gentiles had to be circumcised in order to be saved. In other words, they believed that God's favor was only for the Jews. It's worth noting in Acts fifteen twenty four that there it will reveal that these so-called teachers had come from Jerusalem, but they had not been sent from the church leadership. They'd come of their own accord. Paul and Barnabas fiercely disagreed with their teaching, for they knew that it was by grace that God was willing to accept all people who trust in the blood of Jesus Christ. This disagreement between the missionaries and the false teachers was so intense that Paul and Barnabas, along with some other believers, were appointed to travel to Jerusalem to seek direction from the apostles on whether the gift of God was only for a select few or for the whole world. Verse 3. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the believers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders, to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers, who belonged to the party of the Pharisees, stood up and said, The Gentiles must be circumcised and required to obey the law of Moses. Those in the Jerusalem church, along with their elders, joyfully received Paul and Barnabas and welcomed the news of all the Lord had done through them to bring in the Gentiles. However, a small group of believers who still belonged to the party of the Pharisees were dissatisfied. We've encountered this group known as the circumcision or Judaizers before. Ten years earlier, they'd objected to Peter's preaching to Cornelius in Caesarea and had been somewhat silenced then, but they'd never really gone away. There were still some who believed that salvation was only available for law-abiding Jews and that Gentiles needed to become Jews first before they could be accepted as God's people. Luke mentions only the public meetings in his account, but Paul gives some behind-the-scenes details in his letter to the Galatians. He explains in Galatians chapter 2 that he had several private meetings with the church leaders in Jerusalem to make sure that he had not preached in error and that his efforts to win the Gentiles had not been in vain. He reports that the leadership agreed with his theology. They too believed that salvation is by grace alone and that God's gift of everlasting life is available to all who believe in Jesus Christ. As proof, Paul even notes that they had not compelled Titus, a Gentile Christian who'd accompanied Paul to Jerusalem, To be circumcised. I find Paul's humility, though, in all of this quite remarkable. He was such a gifted theologian and teacher, and yet he was willing to humbly submit himself to others who had been with Christ longer and were in positions of authority in the church in order to confirm that his doctrine was sound. We are also called to respect our leaders and to submit to one another in love, with the main goal being to glorify Christ in all that we do. In Acts 15 verse 6, Luke describes the public meeting to resolve the dispute over whether or not the Gentiles had to become Jews in order to receive Christ. He says, The apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the Gentile disciples a yoke that neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. After much discussion, Peter stood up and reminded them what had already been decided about the Gentiles when this argument had come up all those many years before. They knew then that God had made the choice to have Peter preach to the Gentiles and that he had confirmed his acceptance of the Gentiles by giving the Holy Spirit to Cornelius, his friends, and his family to prove that their hearts had been purified by faith. Peter warned the council not to force the Gentiles to follow a law that could not save them. A law that none of the Jews themselves had ever been able to keep. God saves all of us by his grace made available to us in Jesus Christ. It was then Barnabas and Paul's turn to speak in verse 12. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the miraculous signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. When they finished, James spoke up, Brothers, listen to me. Simon, called Peter, has described to us how God at first showed his concern by taking from the Gentiles a people for himself. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this as it is written. After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it. That the remnant of men may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord who does these things that have been known for ages. After Barnabas and Paul had finished giving testimony, it fell to James as leader of the church in Jerusalem to answer. Many believe James to be the half-brother of Jesus as mentioned in Matthew 13, verse 55, who only came to faith after Christ's resurrection, once Christ had appeared to him, as detailed by Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 7. According to church tradition, James, who would eventually be martyred for his faith in Christ, was known as James the Just. But his nickname actually was Camel Knees. Because he spent so much time on his knees in prayer, large calluses covered them, just as they do on camel's knees. After commanding the people's attention, this much respected and prayerful man reminded them that God had always been concerned for the Gentiles. The recent fact that he poured out his spirit upon Cornelius proved that, just as Peter had said. But James also reminded them that even the Old Testament prophets had spoken of this in the past quoting words from the prophet Amos that Gentiles would one day bear God's name and be part of his chosen people. And because this had been known for ages, James declared in verse 19, It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. Because this was all part of God's plan from the beginning, James purposed that they not complicate things for the Gentiles who were turning to God. He suggested that the council in Jerusalem write to the Gentile converts in Antioch, as well as those in any other church that the letter should be shared with, to clearly lay out the way forward. He would tell the Gentiles to abstain from four things, from food offered to idols, from sexual immorality, from meat of strangled animals, and from blood. The restriction about sexual immorality is easily understood, but you may wonder why what they ate would matter. For the Gospels reveal Jesus as saying that man is not made unclean by what goes into his mouth, but rather by what comes out of it. But the issue here is about more than food. Remember that the individual churches in those days included both Jews and Gentiles and they often met together in communal meals. James knew that people who had a background in Judaism would struggle to accept some of the food that the Gentiles had no problem with. For instance, the Jews were not allowed to consume blood in any form Blood was a sacred thing to them. They were very careful about the animals that they ate. And since an animal killed by strangulation usually retained some of its blood, they would not eat from them. Additionally, much of the meat available in the markets had been sacrificed to idols along the way to those markets, and any connection with idolatry, however remote, was of great concern to Jewish believers. James asked that out of love and in order to promote unity, these Gentile believers Let go some of their legitimate freedoms so as not to offend their Jewish brothers and sisters. Asking the Gentiles to make these small concessions about food during the communal meals would not cause them to compromise their walk with the Lord. However, it would show their love for other believers and their desire for unity most powerfully. According to verse 22, those present at the council of Jerusalem not only agreed with what James proposed, the apostles and elders with the whole church decided to choose some of their own men and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They chose Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, two men who were leaders among the believers. With them, they sent the following letter. The apostles and elders, your brothers, to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia, greetings. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood and from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. Farewell. Once the church had reached its decision, the council acted quickly, detailing what had been decided in a letter. The Holy Spirit prompted the Jerusalem leaders to entrust the letter into the care of two of their representatives, Judas and Silas, who were to accompany Paul and Barnabas to Antioch. This truly was inspired, as sending these two respected messengers not only conveyed the love and care those in Jerusalem felt towards those believers in Antioch, it also provided protection for Paul and Barnabas from their enemies. If they had returned alone, the troublemakers in Antioch might have easily attacked the truth of the message that they brought back. Judas and Silas, as official messengers from the Jerusalem church, were guarantors of the truth of the letter, The letter itself is brief considering how important the issue was and it lists the four requirements agreed upon by the council in simple language without any of the theology behind them. I want us to notice, though, the other parts of the letter and how they indirectly but clearly rebuke those who spoke against the gospel going to the Gentiles. After the opening pleasantries, the letter confirms that the individuals from Jerusalem whose false teaching had caused the believers in Antioch such distress had not been sent out by the church in Jerusalem and were not speaking with their authority. The letter also makes plain the council's support for what Barnabas and Paul had said and done, referring to them as dear friends who had risked their lives for the Lord Jesus in taking the gospel to faraway cities. Lastly, the letter assures its readers that the decision of the council had truly come from the Holy Spirit, not just from them, and that in accepting the small sacrifices asked of them, the Gentiles, and indeed everyone, would be doing well. The letter seems simple in many ways, but it totally undercuts all of that the false teachers were trying to do, and shows us that following the leadership of the Holy Spirit results in good for everyone. What an example of spirit-led wisdom from James and the Jerusalem council. Verse 30 tells us, The men were sent off and went down to Antioch, where they gathered the church together and delivered the letter. The people read it and were glad for its encouraging message. Judas and Silas, who themselves were prophets, said much to encourage and strengthen the believers after spending some time there they were sent off by the brothers with the blessing of peace to return to those who had sent them but paul and barnabas remained in antioch where they and many others taught and preached the word of the lord luke reports that the letter was very well received by the believers in antioch and they rejoiced at the encouragement that Judas and Silas were able to give before they returned to Jerusalem. It seemed a good time for the church in Antioch. The false teachers had been silenced An important doctrine had been confirmed for all the churches to follow, and Paul and Barnabas were once again teaching and preaching God's word to the people. And so it also seems like a good place to end our lesson. Next week, we'll look at Paul's second missionary journey, and it begins in a way that you might not imagine. I look forward to talking with you then. God bless you. Thank you for listening to In the Word with Michelle Telfer. Join us next week as we continue our study from God's Word, the Bible. For more of Michelle's resources, visit her website at In the Word.